Psalms 42, verses 1 through 7. And the Bible says, As the heart panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my meat day and night, while they continually say unto me, Where is thy God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me, for I had gone with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise with a multitude that kept holy day. Why art thou cast down, O my soul, and why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. O my God, my soul is cast down within me, Therefore will I remember thee from the land of Jordan and of the Hermonites and the hill of Mazar. Deep calleth unto deep at the noise of thy water spouts. All thy waves and thy billows are gone over me. Today, we're, we're in a, a series called Beautifully New. And I, I just want to speak for a moment about beautifully new, being beautifully new with revelation and being beautifully new with a relationship with God and understanding who God is. So you can all be seated. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> I'm not going to preach for 40 minutes while you guys are saying it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Brother Pap, it's good to have you here. Praise God. God bless you. Jonica, it's so wonderful to see you, my friend. I have missed you so much and I'm so glad that you're here. So, those pictures of, of the ocean had me absolutely floored. I love going to the ocean. I love going, hanging out on the beach. I love, you know, just listening to the waves roll in and, and you know, seeing people hanging out on the beach, having fun, spending time with friends and family. Who wants to go to the beach right now? <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. We're in Wisconsin. Hey, it's not that cold, though. Thank God. So, <laughs> yes, I love the beach. I love the beach. Tasha and I, um, right after we got married, we went on our honeymoon to the Bahamas, and it was, oh, it was, oh, it was just beautiful. Sitting on the beach, the, the first day, we just kind of took it easy, and, you know, we hung out on the beach, and uh, I took a nap. <laughs> I laid there, took a nap. The sun wasn't out, so I didn't really get roasted too bad. Um, but I, I just remembered falling asleep to the list, to the waves, you know, just, just coming in and going out. And uh, if you're anything like me, you love going to the ocean, but you're scared to death of the deep water, right? So I'm good. I'm content just hanging out where the water comes in. You know, I, 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 uh, I went surfing one time in Florida and um, I, I didn't really like it because I was, uh, I, was, I was afraid of falling in and not knowing what I was falling into. Um, I really enjoyed skimboarding, though. I was talking to Pastor about this uh, just yesterday. Skimboarding is, um, you know, where the, the tide comes in about this deep, and you throw a board down, and you run and jump on it, and you just ride, like, on the tide like this. Uh, it feels like floating. It, it, it's, it's amazing. I love that. I'll hang out in the shallow waters all day. But the reason why I get so scared about going so deep is because probably because my dad had on like Shark Week on Nat Geo when I was too young. 
and uh, just getting scared of, of all the sharks. How many, have you ever seen Shark Week? Anybody ever seen Shark Week? It's, it's really interesting, but it will scare you to death, right? So they talk about these shark attacks and all this stuff that happened. So I don't like going in the deep water. I'll stay out of that. Um, I did have the opportunity one time to go deep sea diving, and I turned it down. I was like, nope, not doing it. Uh, just because it, it was so scary to me. And I think what's, what's scary to me about it is not knowing what's underneath you, right? Like, even when I get in a lake, and it's like deep water in a lake, I get nervous because I, I don't know what's underneath me. And I think uh, we have a natural tendency to be afraid of the unknown, right? We do. Everybody does. We're, that's, that's where the fear of being scared of the dark comes from because you don't know what's in the dark, you know, we have, a, we have a natural tendency to be afraid of the unknown, which is, um, I guess it's a survival mechanism because it keeps you away from, you know, scary places and, and, and play, you know, places where you could be hurt. But I, I want to tell you that uh, living in the presence of God is a lot like jumping in the middle of an ocean. Living in the presence of God is like being in the middle of an ocean. It's immense. It's beautiful. No one can deny, but it can be frightening. It can be nerve-wracking because you don't necessarily know what's going to happen next. You might not know what the next step is. You might understand the calling of God on your life, but you might not know where you go next. And I think it's that fear of, of, of not knowing that, that makes us so uncomfortable at times when we live for God because we, we, we feel like we've, we've just dove into something that we can't control. And we can't control God. So I think a lot of us tend to, um, tend to stay in the shallows when it comes to a relationship with God. I think, have you ever, so who's been diving? Who's been deep sea diving before in here? Nobody. Okay, Brother Pap. Okay, but diving, right? Awesome. Who's been snorkeling? <laughs> snorkeling? Okay. Awesome. See, we've been snorkeling. I brought something to kind of illustrate what I was going to talk about today. Um, <laughs> everybody's been snorkeling. Well, not everybody, but it's more comfortable than going diving, right? I'm actually going to put this on right now, okay? So bear with me for a moment while I get this on my head. Messy hair, don't care. Is that still a real thing? So if you can, I'm not going to be too serious right now, so don't worry about the distraction, okay? Selfie of the year. Selfie of the year. No, we've, we've all been, uh, well, most of us are more comfortable snorkeling than deep sea diving, right? I, I went snorkeling uh, when I was in Mexico one time growing up with uh, my family went on a vacation to Mexico. And I went snorkeling. I saw some amazing things. You know, just when you're in like this deep of water, it's, it's amazing what God's creation is there. You know, I saw these fish. I saw, um, you know, a reef. Tasha and I went snorkeling when we went to the Bahamas, and there was this guy, you know, we're hanging out on the top of the water, 
and, and just looking down, and it was probably, how deep do you think it was? It was, it was probably 15 feet deep, you know, so it's still deep, but you can't dive to the bottom of it. You know, you can look at the reefs, and, and this guy would take, like, fruit, and we're, like, you know, hanging out in the water like this, looking around, and this guy would throw fruit right by your head, and all the fish would just right in your face. It was so cool. It was so cool. But um, I was still nervous because I started looking around, and I couldn't see it. Like, it gets to a point where you can't see anymore in the ocean, and it just kind of drops off, and I'm like, what's hanging out down there, <laughs> you know? Um, but I, I remember I did actually dive a little bit with the snorkel. I went underwater, and I was kind of looking at things. But I, I couldn't get to the bottom. For one, I didn't have enough air because, <laughs> you know, and then when you go under with a snorkel, it gets all in your tube, and then you swallow it, and you, like, halfway die on the way up because you're like choking so that's what happened to me but I'm, I'm going down and, and I could get about halfway down there and then I'd have to come back up it was it was a really cool experience but for what I wanted to do it wasn't uh, that functional you know I needed an oxygen tank to really get down there and kind of look at everything put my glasses back on I'm gonna wear these for a while I hope that's not too distracting for you so um we, we tend to, spiritually speaking, we tend to put the snorkel on instead of the scuba gear. We tend to stay where it's safe. We tend to stay in the shallow water where we can kind of control things a little bit better. We can get up and get out when something comes our way. I think too many times, too many times as people of God, we trade the scuba gear for the snorkel. And I, I want to show you something in that scripture that I read to start off with. In verse 7, it says, deep calleth unto deep. What is that talking about? You know, the, sometimes the Bible can be really archaic in the way that it explains something, right? It, it's, uh, okay, so in the context, one thing, since we're talking about Revelation, let me just point this out. The writer of this Psalms in verse 6 says, will I remember thee? He remembers something that God did for him in the past, and that's what's helping him get through. He remembers uh, God, the experience he had in the land of Jordan and, and with the Hermonites and the hill of Mazar. He's remembering these things, and it's giving him strength to continue, right? So then it says, deep calleth unto deep at the noise of thy waterspouts. All thy waves and thy billows are gone over me. What is that talking about? The phrase deep calleth unto deep. An another translation um, says the abyss calls to the abyss. And as I was praying about it, what, what God had revealed to me, deep calleth unto deep means the deep things are the revelations of God call out to the deep parts of the human soul. And it only happens when we dive in. It only happens when we're in the deep. When we get deep with God, when we get alone with God, when we focus on him above all else, that's when the deep calls to deep. You know, revelation, what do I mean by revelation? Revelation is a beautiful thing. Revelation is just the, the most basic, uh, the most basic definition for it is just understanding something that you previously didn't understand 
or knowing something that you previously that previously was a mystery to you. So revelation is a beautiful thing, but revelation only comes with relationship. Revelation requires relationship. In order for you to get revelation of the deep things of God, you have to have a relationship with God. There is no way that we can understand this Bible front and back and back and front if we do not spend time in prayer and if we do not spend time studying the word. There's no way that we'll understand the things that we want to. We have to have a relationship with God. So I have a question for you. Are you a vacation Christian or a word of God local? That was a, um, I remember having to answer that question myself. Am I going to half in, half out with God or am I going to 100% commit to it? And that's what I really mean behind this question. Do we just throw on the snorkel and go out and have a good time and then go home and do it again next year? Or do we truly live in the presence of God? Do we truly put on the scuba gear? Do we truly dive in in the middle of the ocean and, and just enjoy the presence of God, no matter what comes our way, but we're, we're fully invested, we're 100% in it. When it comes to a relationship God, a relationship with God, do you choose to put on the snorkel or the scuba gear? You know, snorkeling, as we know, is, is designed for shallow waters or small-scale diving. But scuba gear will allow you to dive deep. And it will allow you to go to places that you would never be able to go. Snorkeling can be functional. It allows you to sit on top of the water and look at things from afar. But it's not as effective as diving down. It's not, it's not effective at, at, at going deep in the water and, and discovering something and, and looking at beautiful things. But scuba gear allows us to do that. What do I mean by all this snorkel and scuba gear talk? <laughs> Let me tell you what I mean. Let's carry it over into the spiritual. In order to dive deep, we must cultivate a relationship with God. We must suit up. We must study. We must pray. We must fast. We must obey the word of God. We, we, it, it, takes, it takes time. It's, it's something that we invest in. It, 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 putting on scuba gear is much more difficult than just throwing on a snorkel. Trying to squeeze into that wetsuit takes some work now. And it's the same in a relationship with God. If you truly want a, a deep connection with our creator, it takes some time. You got to suit up. You got to prepare. You have to pray. You have to read the word. Uh, just some, some scriptures that say that. 2 Timothy 2, 14 through 16. I'm going to run through these pretty quick, okay? So just try and keep up. 2 Timothy 2, 14 through 16 says, of these things, put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, but shun profane and vain babblings, uh, 
for they will increase unto more ungodliness. In Psalms 119 and 11 and 10, I'm actually going to start at 10. It says, with my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from, my, from thy commandments. Thy words have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. We have to be in the word. We have to study. We have to, we have to read. We have to meditate. And then going on to Philippians 4 and 6. Philippians 4 and 6 says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be, known, be made known unto God. And James 5 and, 6, 5 and uh, 16 says, Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Prayer is a must. We have to be praying people. But both of those, uh, studying, reading the word, meditating, praying, are required with a relationship with God. I have, I have an example real quick. Brother Adon, can I use you real quick? If you could just stand up and stay right there. This is not the kind of relationship that God wants with us, with his creation, separated. This is not what God wants. God also does not want this. I'm God right now. He's just a guy. God doesn't want this either. Come on, you're going to love me? You're going to worship me. You're going you're gonna to kneel down at this altar and I'm going to be your God, okay? That's not what God is interested in. If he would have been, he would have just made everybody robots to worship him anyways. But this is what he wants. You start walking to me. This is what he wants. A relationship. A mutual relationship. And this, is, this, is, this kind of relationship between God and creation is so powerful that nothing can separate us unless we walk away. But this, this right here, when you, when you have a relationship with somebody and you're so close with somebody, you begin to learn things about that person and that person confides in you and, and reveals things to you that maybe nobody else knows. Deep calls unto deep. This is God, hey, let me show you something. Look, you were reading this. This is what it means. You know, and, and we begin to, it's a, it's a mutual relationship. It's not creation just talking all the time to God or vice versa, God just talking all the time to creation. It's, it's mutual. It's literally like a relationship with, with your spouse. It's, it's like a relationship with your best friend. Thank you. Appreciate it. But that's the kind of relationship that God desires with his creation. When we have a relationship like that, it brings revelation. It brings new light to scripture. It, 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 God begins to show us things that maybe we read one time and, and didn't quite understand it. Or, or God starts using us to show revelation to somebody else. I know um, the last time that I was up here, I was with Pastor and, and we were talking about a bunch of things. And I talked a lot about, about oneness. Um, bear with me because... Uh, God has revealed some things that, that make sense and that, that apply, okay? So just bear with me because I'm going somewhere. First off, I want to read Hebrews 11 and 6. Hebrews 11 and 6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, 
and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Today we're talking about revelation, okay? The first revelation you have to have before you come to God is to believe that he exists. Yeah, you have to believe that. It says it right here, you, that uh, for he that cometh to God. So if you're going to come to God, you have to believe that he's there. I mean, there's no point in <laughs> trying to be saved by a God that's not real or that you don't believe in. So first revelation, you have to believe that God exists. Second, I want to read a scripture in Hosea. And uh, just so you know, in youth, we've been talking a lot about Hosea and about a relationship with God and, and, and what that meant. But this scripture in Hosea, it's Hosea chapter 12, verse 10. says, I have also spoken by the prophets and I have multiplied visions and used simul- similitudes by the ministry of the prophets. So what is this saying? In order to understand the New Testament, you have to understand the Old Testament. That's what this scripture is saying. It's saying God has used prophets God has multiplied visions and he used similitudes. What are similitudes? They're models. So in order to understand, quote unquote, the God of the New Testament, we have to understand the God of the Old Testament because they're the same. So an example, Deuteronomy 6 and 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. The first commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before me. There's, there's, in the tabernacle, there was only one ark. There weren't three, there weren't two, there was just one. One ark, one God. So, it, it, oneness is the second, or it should be the second revelation you have once you come to God. Because if you can't understand oneness, you can't understand salvation. Because if you, if, if you don't believe in oneness, baptism, is, baptism doesn't work right. You have to believe oneness in, in a, to understand how to be baptized. So the second revelation you should have when you come to God is oneness. There is one God. And there's a, so many different verses in the Bible that support the, 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 oneness, uh, the oneness idea that we have as a United Pentecostal Church. I don't have time to go through them all because it's all throughout the Old Testament and New Testament. And I urge you all to, to study it. Study it. I was in PI yesterday and Brother Brownie was talking about um, a church in the New Testament. I can't remember the name of it because he just briefly mentioned it. And he said, this church was more righteous because they studied what I was saying to make sure that it was real. And that's what we have to do. We have to study the word. Don't take anything that I say just off, you know, faith, Reese is right. Don't do that. Go back and study the word. But understanding the basics like oneness and salvation and, and, and that God exists uh, allows us to put on that scuba gear to go deeper. That's, that's what allows us. Being in a relationship with God is like being in the middle of the ocean. But in order to put on the scuba gear, you have to know how to use it to dive. So understanding who God is allows us to have greater revelation. So I have an example for you in the Bible. 
And pardon me, because I do have a, a personal example as well that I want to share with you. But the example in the Bible is Matthew 16, 13 through 19. I'm not going to read it all because we've all read it. And for the sake of time, uh, I'm just going to explain it. So, so this is when Jesus is hanging out with the disciples. You talk about some men who are willing to dive deep. They left everything to follow God, to follow Jesus, which is God in flesh, as we know. They left everything behind in order to follow Christ. So Jesus looks at him and said, who do men say that I am? You know, they rattle off a couple uh, examples, you know, John the Baptist, Jeremiah, Isaiah, you know, all kinds of things. Um, and then he says, but whom do you say that I am? And Peter, as he's, most of the time, he is the first one to speak up. <laughs> and he, he doesn't care if he's wrong. But he just throws it out there. Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. What was that revelation? That was revelation of oneness. He was understanding who Jesus was. Do you know what happened after he realized that? Or after he spoke that revelation? Jesus said, okay, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. Here's the keys. And then he goes on to have greater revelation of salvation, preaches the first salvation message. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For this promise is unto you and to your children and to your children's children and to all that are afar off, as many as the Lord our God shall call. That was greater revelation given because he understood something that was so basic and so fundamental. God revealed greater things to him. And there were thousands who joined the church because of his revelation of oneness. And there are still millions of people. There are people in Granada because of the revelation of oneness that are now saved and in the kingdom of God. So I do have a real life example that I want to share with you real quick. So um, pardon the personal example. I find those are the easier stories to tell because I was there. So, so please forgive me, okay? I know sometimes using personal examples rubs, rubs people the wrong way, but let, just, just divulge me for a moment. So a friend of mine, um, a very good friend of mine, who has uh, recently just rekindled his relationship with God. So um, he grew up going to church, but um, not an apostolic church, uh, but he kind of walked away from God and, and has started to come back. He made it a priority to pray and read his Bible every day. It's amazing, right? So we had been talking, and, and he asked me all kinds of questions, and half the time I don't know the answer, so then we just look it up together. But some, one day, we got on the subject of oneness. And he told me, he said, I grew up Trinitarian. I can't tell you why. I just know my pastor used to preach that. Okay. Well, that's good to know. <laughs> so we started going through things. We started going through that scripture in Hosea. We started going through, uh, there's another scripture in Hosea that says, God speaking, I am the Savior. There is no other Savior besides me. We started talking about that. We started talking about Deuteronomy 6 and 4. And then we started talking about when Jesus said, I and my Father are one. And if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. We started talking about the importance of those statements. I didn't think much of that conversation. I was like, that was pretty good. 
<laughs> no, no, I, I didn't say that at all. But um, I actually thought, wow, I stumbled a lot. <laughs> but uh, I didn't think much of the conversation. A couple days after that conversation, he came up to me, though, and he said, hey, I got to tell you something. I've realized that it was God who died on the cross for me, and he didn't send his son. He doesn't have a son. It was him robed in flesh. You talk about just an amazing impact on my life, right? That, that somebody who grew up believing something was so hungry and wanted a relationship with God. He just wanted to know God. He wanted to know who he was, so God revealed it to him. And God said, okay, now that you've started praying and started reading the Bible, I'm going to show you some things because we started a relationship. My friend, he, he, to go back to the example, he threw on that scuba gear pretty quick and dove in head first. He was ready. And he traded that snorkel for the scuba gear. <laughs> he wasn't satisfied with just hanging out on the surface and observing things at, far, at afar. He wanted to get down there and he wanted to understand and he wanted to see God for who he really was, not for what men have made up about God. This just, you know, and, and after that, he kept coming to me and he's like, man, I understand this. I, I understand this. I, I, you know, God has shown me this and this and this and, and just telling me all these crazy things. And that just shows me again how important it is to understand oneness because that is the gateway into further revelation. But revelation requires relationship. We have to be hungry. Sorry, I said that funny. That's my southern, southern drawl coming out. We have to be hungry. <laughs> but what's also amazing about this story is that when we're prayed up and we're read up, God uses us to reveal stuff to other people. God allows us to bring revelation into somebody else's life. You know, he didn't understand that, or he, he didn't understand that solely because of what I said. Because he took what I said and went home and looked it up. And he made sure that it was in the Bible. But God will allow us to bring revelation into other people's lives that allows other people to see God in such a beautifully new way. That's the, I worked the, I worked the series title in there, Pastor, Beautifully New. <laughs> but I, I have two more scriptures I want to read to you. Colossians 4, verses 2 through 4 says, continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving, with all praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. This is Paul writing to the Colossians saying, hey, pray for us and, and pray that God will open the door for us to reveal things to people who who don't believe what we believe. Pray that, that God will give us the opportunity to bring revelation into somebody else's life. And we're given that same charge in Acts 1 and 8 when it says, 
But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. What is this saying? Be a witness. What does it mean to be a witness? Well, according to Dr. Webster of Merriam-Webster Dictionary, to be a witness means giving or serving as evidence. When you give or serve evidence in a courtroom, it brings revelation because it allows the jury to see what was going on. It, 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 it allows the, what you're saying to really be made manifest. And if we're to be witnesses, we're to be giving and serving as evidence of our creator, as evidence of what he's done in our life. And when we do that, we bring revelation to other people. We show God, we show people that God is not somebody sitting on a throne waiting for you to mess up so he can flick you out of existence, but God is loving and kind. And he loved us so much that he died on a cross for us. Oh, I wish that we would truly understand the sacrifice that God made on the cross I wish that we would really get it in our hearts because when we understand that we're able to show people who God really is because I know I know where I was I know what mess I was in but I also know that there was a cross that where Jesus died on it, which was God in flesh. He came down off the throne. Y'all, he could have he done anything he wanted to, but he decided to be the most vulnerable, to come into the world as the most vulnerable form, a baby, and live a life that we have to live and be tempted but never sin. So he knows what we're going through. He knows what we experience on a daily basis. And he was willing to suffer the cross, to be beaten beyond compare, to be whipped and lashed and and to have his blood poured out so that we could be with him forever. I wish that we would truly, truly understand the sacrifice that God gave. I was, uh, I was listening to a song um, while I was praying, and uh, it's by this guy named Travis Green, who I just found last night, and it's absolutely amazing. He he was uh, singing this song called Made Away. And he was describing how Jesus dying on the cross made a way for our salvation. And he was describing, he said, one of the lyrics in that is, I don't know why, but I'm grateful. I don't know why you would do that for something like me but I'm grateful. And, and it, it really hit home because when you think about it, we don't deserve that. There's nothing we could ever do to earn grace and mercy from God. There's nothing we could ever do to earn a ticket into heaven. But God made a way when there was no way. That was not in my notes, but I hope it ministered to somebody. <laughs> I have one more story that I could tell if I want to. I'm, I'm going to close. I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'm just going to tell this story in closing, okay? So I went to college in um, UW Rock County, which is Janesville. 
uh, it, it was a really good school. I met a lot of really wonderful people and a lot of my friends, um, grew up, you know, in Beloit in the area, Beloit and Janesville are really close. Um, and I was, uh, you know, just hanging out with some friends, met some friends. I still talk to them. They still, you know, Snapchat me and stuff. So, um, I remember one day in particular, I, I had, uh, or God had given me the opportunity to, you know, just minister at, at this table of friends. It was probably eight of them. And, uh, the next day you can come on up the, uh, the next day, um, we were sitting at the table and we were just hanging out, you know, we were just talking and forgive me if I've told this story before, but, um, we were just chatting and, and one of the guys, uh, my friend, Nick, he, um, he said to me, he's like, Hey, I just got this text message. One of my friend's mom's got cancer, you know, and I'm like, Oh man, I'm sorry. You know, I, I, I truly am <laughs> bad on me that I didn't say, let's pray about it. Cause I didn't. And he looked me square in the face, said, can you pray? Oh, this man had never been to church in his life. You know, I, I don't know if he goes to church now. I was just talking to him yesterday, so he knows I'm going to tell this story and he's okay with it. But this, he, he looked me square in the face, let's pray. And I'm like, uh, okay. And then he's directing everybody, right? He's like, okay, everybody hold hands. And there's like nine of us at the table and so everybody holds hands and you know I'm just kind of like oh man here it goes what happens if she doesn't get healed that's what I thought oh what a terrible thought because that was my lack of faith so I grabbed their hands and I don't know it was the presence of God came over me because I didn't really say anything I said Jesus by the power in your blood, heal this woman. You know, then we, we were done praying. Everybody's like, wow, that's it? <laughs> but the next day, he came up to me and said, my friend's mom don't have cancer anymore. Oh, sweet Lord. She still doesn't have cancer. That was three years ago. You know what happens? I want to read this quote that Rob actually read in our life group. It's from the book Radical by David Platt. This is what I did. And this is what David Platt says. We're starting to redefine Christianity. We're giving in to dangerous temptations to take Jesus of the Bible and twist him into a version of Jesus we're more comfortable with. A nice middle-class American Jesus. A Jesus who doesn't mind materialism and who would never call us to give anything, uh, to give away everything that we have. A Jesus who would not expect us to forsake our closest relationships so that he receives all of our affection. A Jesus who is fine with nominal devotion that does not infringe on our comforts because after all, he loves us just how we are. A Jesus who wants us to be balanced, who wants us to avoid dangerous extremes, and who, for that matter, wants us to avoid danger altogether. A Jesus who brings us comfort and prosperity as we live our Christian spin on the American dream. 
He, speaking of Jesus, is beginning to look a lot like us because after all, that's whom we're most comfortable with. And the danger now is that when we gather in our church buildings to sing and lift up our hands in worship, we may not actually be worshiping the Jesus of the Bible. Instead, we are worshiping ourselves. That's what I did in that moment. I, I, I tried to fit Jesus into something that, that I, I tried to put limits on him and say, well, what happens if this woman's not healed? What happens if the prayer doesn't get answered? And then I look like an idiot in front of all of my friends. And then they really think how fake Christianity is. I tried to take Jesus and, and fit, put limits on him and, and fit him into something that I was comfortable with. When I realized when you just let Jesus be Jesus and you worship him for who he really is, that's when the barriers break down. That's when discrimination breaks down. That's when our limits are dissolved on what Jesus can do. If we could all stand. Don't be a vacation Christian. Don't settle for the snorkel. I, I, I pray that right now, all of our desire would be on a 100% total commitment in Jesus Christ. And that we would invest 100% of our, of, of, of our strength, of our soul, of our mind in being with Jesus. If we could all bow our heads and close our eyes. This altar is open. Allow God to use you to bring revelation into somebody's life. From now on, those, those students that I sat with at the table, now they know God is a healer. And they might have never known that. Jesus. I pray, Lord, that, that you would change our hearts and our minds today. I pray, God, that you would put such a fire inside of our lives that we can't ever put it out, that nothing can ever put it out. God, help us to take our limits off of you and just let you be God. Jesus.